Welcome to another Salvation by Grace midweek message. Salvation by Grace is the teaching ministry of Grace Christian Assembly, a Sovereign Grace Fellowship in Smyrna, Tennessee. Remember to visit our website at salvationbygrace.org. Now, here's our pastor and teacher, Jim McClarty. We are technically in Ezekiel chapter 13 tonight, but we are going to start in Jeremiah 23. We will explain. Some things are repeated over and over in the Bible that, to my mind at least, and to any rational thinking Christian mind, you would think this should not have to be said over and over This just seems obviously presumptive. This just seems obviously problematic. It really shouldn't have to be said over and over. And yet throughout the Bible, God dealing with human beings keeps having to say, don't talk for me, because people have a tendency to want to talk for God. They want to make stuff up for God. And that's a natural human egocentric tendency. It's something that goes with our natural proclivity to kind of build ourselves up, make ourselves something special. And I read an article recently that talked about the real estate in the White House and that where your office was located and how close it was to the Oval Office actually gave you more authority, gave you more power. It's all closeness to the power that gives you the presumption of having power yourself. Same thing with God. People like to think, well, I'm probably a little closer to God than you are because I hear directly from God. I can tell you what God thinks. I can tell you what God says. And yet throughout the Bible, over and over, God keeps saying, don't do that. Don't talk for me. Now God, once again, is going to talk about false prophets. And we have to put it into the context of what we're looking at in Ezekiel right now. Chapter 12 told us that there were people who were still behind the walls of Jerusalem. They hadn't been deported yet. The king was still there. And so they felt that they were probably safe, and they thought that the people who were being punished were the ones who had already been deported into Babylon. But they felt that they were safe behind the walls of Jerusalem. And they had prophets with them who were telling them, you're going to be okay. And God, of course, last week and this week, we're going to see, God keeps saying, no, you're not. I'm going to deport you. I'm going to bring the famine. I'm going to bring the sword. And I'm going to bring you into bondage in Babylon. Just because you're still in Jerusalem doesn't mean that you're safe because you're trusting your walls. You're trusting your armaments. You're trusting your king. You're not trusting me. And so because you're trusting your other gods and you're trusting the Baals, because you're not putting all of your confidence and faith in me, I'm going to make sure that you know who God is by the way I punish you. Meanwhile, the prophets in Jerusalem are telling everybody, "Now nah, you're good. You're fine. Just stay in Jerusalem. Stay behind the walls. You're safe. God is for you. God's not against you. And that's what Ezekiel chapter 13 is going to be about. God's saying, I don't talk through those people, but people want to pretend that they talk for God. 
Now, the reason that this is one of the most pervasive themes in the Bible, Old and New Testament, is because it has almost always happened, going all the way back to the Tower of Babel, and going forward into the book of Revelation, and the false prophet, and the beast. False prophet is a concept that runs all the way through the Bible, and it's not really even hard to demonstrate in our own day. All I have to do is turn on any of the religious channels, turn on TBN, dial up the radio, look on the internet, and you'll find people who are saying, God says this, and I saw a vision, and I had a dream, and this is what God's going to do, and this is what God says. But you read the Bible, and God keeps saying, I didn't say that. In fact, he's going to take the approach tonight of saying, I'm not going to talk anymore to those people, nor will I be inquired by any people who have chased their foreign gods and their idols. So if they go to the false prophets and the false prophets give them an answer, that's not me because I don't talk to them and I'm not going to answer people who have already set up their false idols. So God is just going to become silent in the face of the false prophets, of the people who are seeking foreign gods, and then when they need help, running to God at the last minute. Let's go see what God has to say about this. And in the midst of that, we're going to take a little theological left turn because one of the ways that I approach the Bible is big picture. I like the big picture stuff. The New Testament authors are influenced by and writing about the Old Testament scriptures. They've been informed by the Old Testament scriptures. And oftentimes the things that they say are things you can find in the Old Testament, even though people don't understand or go looking for it or, or look for the basis of the statements that are in the New Testament. But we're going to see in Ezekiel 13 a statement that I'm going to connect to one of Paul's more controversial statements in the book of Romans. And I think you're going to understand it and go, that's what he's saying. Because remember that Paul only had what we call the Old Testament as his scripture. Which scripture, he said, is God-breathed, theonistos, straight from God's revelation of himself. And so that's the basis on which Paul develops all of his theology. So that's what we're up to tonight. But before we do all that, we're going to start in Jeremiah because Jeremiah is a contemporary of Ezekiel and Jeremiah is going to say essentially the same thing, which is if you claim to talk for God, quit it. Because the acid test is if a prophet says they're speaking for God, it's going to happen. If a prophet actually speaks for God, God doesn't make mistakes. If he says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. But if somebody says, I've got a word from the Lord, and then it doesn't happen, they're a false prophet. And God even instructs Israel, you don't have to fear them. You don't have to worry about them. You don't have to listen to them. Don't let them impose their ideas on your conscience. Clearly, they're not speaking for me. Because if it were me, I'll back up my word. I'll do what I said I'm going to do. Now, at the end of chapter 12 last week, we saw that the people in Jerusalem had a proverb. And that proverb was, 
Well, you know, God did say all these punishments are coming, but that was a long time ago. And it hasn't happened yet, so it's probably not going to happen, which is the way that people still think today. Well, we haven't been punished yet. We've been advancing all of these agendas that are completely opposite what the Bible says, but God hasn't acted. So either God's not there, or God doesn't care, or God approves of what we're doing. But God is very clear that once he has spoken it, he doesn't forget what he has spoken, and just because he hasn't responded yet doesn't mean he's not going to respond. He's going to respond in judgment. But human beings are busy thinking, I'm getting away with it. But if you get away with it, for 30, 40 years here on planet Earth, and then you spend your eternity separated from God, outer darkness, worms never sleep, fires never quenched. Did you really get away with it? No, obviously not. Jeremiah 23, everybody there? Starting at verse 13. Moreover, among the prophets of Samaria... I saw an offensive thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people Israel astray. Also, among the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen a horrible thing. The committing of adultery and walking in falsehood. And they strengthened the hands of evildoers so that no one has turned back from his wickedness. All of them have become to me like Sodom and her inhabitants like Gomorrah. Verse 15, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, behold, I am going to feed them wormwood and make them drink poisonous water. For from the prophets of Jerusalem, pollution has gone forth into all the land. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Do not listen to the words of the prophets who are prophesying to you. They are leading you into futility. They speak a vision of their own imagination, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord has said, you will have peace. And as for everyone who walks in the stubbornness of his own heart, they say, Calamity will not come upon you. But who has stood in the counsel of the Lord? There's the key question. That's the question that God asks through Jeremiah. Which one of you who are saying that you're speaking for me have ever stood in my counsel? And that's a fair question because clearly Isaiah did. Clearly, Isaiah stood in the counsel of the Lord, and God gave him the things to say. Clearly, Jeremiah, in eating the scroll of God, or Ezekiel, in seeing the vision of God and being given the words to say as he ate a scroll that was between the wings of the seraphim, those are people who have actually stood in the counsel of God. Therefore, when they speak, they are hearing from and speaking for God. 
But these false prophets, these people who dream a dream or come up with a vision or have some imagination and think, oh, I imagined something last night. That's probably God. I think I'll go out and say it now. Even if it runs completely contrary to everything God says in his word, I feel it, so I believe it, so I'm going to say it. His question is, which one of you ever stood in my council? Which one of you ever heard me say these things? And if you haven't, you're clearly false. Verse 18, but who has stood in the counsel of the Lord that he should see and hear God's word? Who has given heed to his word and listened? Behold, the storm of the Lord has gone forth in wrath even a whirling tempest, it will swirl down on the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until it has performed and carried out the purposes of his heart. In the last days, you will clearly understand it. So he's defining the message of the false prophets as Peace, peace and safety. You're fine. You're here in Jerusalem. You're behind the walls. You're going to be fine. In Ezekiel, he's even going to mock them and say, you don't repair the wall. You don't stand in the breach of the wall. You don't stand on the wall and look for enemies. All you do is whitewash the wall and think you made it stronger. And then he uses the same language. I'm going to bring hailstones and I'm going to bring wind. I'm going to bring my fury and punishment just to demonstrate that your whitewashing of the walls did nothing so that I can show you to be false. So God is going to demonstrate through his own anger, through his own wrath, he's going to demonstrate that they have not performed or carried out the purposes of God's heart. Because the purpose of God's heart, according to Ezekiel, is the punishment of Jerusalem, which they're contrary to. I did not send these prophets, verse 21. I did not send these prophets, but they ran. I didn't send them, but oh yeah, oh yeah, they went out there. They got on TV. They got satellites. They're broadcasting to the whole world. They're dunning people for money right now. Telling them, if you send money to me right now, God's going to do so and so for you. False prophecies. Look, we just saw it, didn't we? September 23rd. I was so sure that the false prophets were wrong about September 23rd that I got married that day. Because I was confident that there was no way the world was going to end that day just because somebody saw something in the interplanetary systems with the Virgo, with the planets, with the, oh, look, the world's going to end that day. No, it's not. That's false prophecy. And you're going to be laid to shame when it doesn't happen. But the people who were promoting that date immediately took to YouTube and said, we're sorry, we got it wrong. Here's the date. Here's the real one. Trust us. Because that's what false prophets do. They have to keep up their image. But the minute they're wrong, according to God, don't listen to them. In fact, the minute they're wrong and say they're speaking for God, there are rules about stoning them. And what do they do? They just get another YouTube channel and just do it again. But God is very, very serious about this. Like I said, it's pervasive throughout the Bible. Don't speak for God. 
the anger of the Lord will not turn back, says verse 20, until he has performed and carried out the purposes of his heart. And in the last days, you will clearly understand it. I did not send these prophets, but they ran. I did not speak to them, but they prophesied. They spoke. They said they were talking for God. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have announced my words to my people. And they would have turned them back from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. In other words, if the prophets in Jerusalem really were from God, they would have turned Jerusalem from their idol worship. That's what they'd be telling the people. But they're not. They're saying, oh, it's all good. God doesn't care. Peace and safety. You're going to be fine. Jerusalem will protect you. Stay behind the walls. God's on your side. Don't worry. And God says, no, had they actually heard my words, if they were carrying out my counsel, they'd be warning you that you're in bad trouble. They'd be telling you you're following the Baals, you're following the idols, and God hates that, so don't do it. But that's not what they're saying. I did not send these prophets, but they ran. I did not speak to them, but they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have announced my words to my people and would have turned them back from their evil ways and from the evil of their deeds. Am I a God who is near, declares the Lord, and not a God far off? Can a man hide himself in hiding places so that I do not see him? declares the Lord. I think that's a little sarcasm by God right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's one of my more godlike qualities. I keep insisting. I'm a God who's close. I'm a God who's near. You can't hide from me. I know what you're doing. I know what you're saying. Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord? I have heard what the prophets have said, who prophesy falsely in my name, saying, I had a dream, I had a dream. How long is there anything in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy falsehood, even these prophets of deception of their own heart, who intend to make my people forget my name by their dreams, which they relate to one another, just as their fathers forgot my name because of Baal? The prophet who has a dream may relate his dream, but let him who has my word speak my word in truth. What does straw have in common with grain? In other words, what are the false prophets doing aligning themselves with my prophets? My actual real prophets are going to say my words. And then you hear the word of God, and then you hear a made-up story that somebody just dreamt and said, oh, I, I dreamed a thing. It must be directly from God. And I need to tell you, and you need to follow me, and I need to build my own ministry, and I need a satellite dish. Verse 28, the prophet who has a dream may relate his dream, but let him who has my word speak my word in truth. What does straw have in common with grain, declares the Lord? Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, like a hammer which shatters a rock. Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who steal my words from each other. Behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who use their tongues and declare, the Lord declares. See that phrase? They use their tongues. They say what they want to say. 
they make up their own stuff, but then they say, oh, but the Lord declares, when it's, in fact, it's a figment of their imagination. Verse 32, behold, I am against those who have prophesied false dreams, declares the Lord, and related them, and led my people astray by their falsehoods and their reckless boasting. See, there's the key to it. Not only are they false prophets, but they want followers. They go out and they tell people what they think. They broadcast what they think because they're recklessly boasting. That is the very essence, to my mind, of what presumption is. And we're told in the Bible not to presume upon the Lord. But is there anything more presumptive than to think that your dream because you had too much pizza last night was actually some kind of sign from God that you have to go tell other people so that other people will think you're more spiritual and follow you so that you can just recklessly go on boasting and then drawing people away from God toward your idols, toward your imagination, toward your made-up thing, which is ultimately the worship of foreign gods. Behold, I am against them who have prophesied false dreams, declares the Lord, and related them and led my people astray by their falsehoods and their reckless boasting. Yet I did not send them or command them, nor did they furnish this people the slightest benefit. Got that? Didn't give my people the slightest benefit. Didn't help my people at all. And yet there's people right now writing checks and putting them in envelopes to send to people on TV who are making stuff up and saying, if you send me more money right now, God's going to do something great for you. And I'm going to send you a prayer cloth. And I got a prophecy from God. God says, that's nothing. There's no help here. They are not helping you. And I think it's a shame that people have become so woefully lacking in their discernment that they can't tell anymore the word of God from made-up gibberish. They say, oh, that sounds good. Now, why does it sound good? Because it sounds good to your flesh. Because the prophecy that the false prophets are prophesying is about you and about you having a more abundant life and about you having a breakthrough and about you finally having that, that child that's been wandering is going to come back to God if you send me a love gift of not less than $150. They're prophesying things that just make you feel good about you, which is exactly what the prophets in Jerusalem were doing. Peace and safety. It's all going to be fine. God's not mad. Yes, he said that, but that was a long time ago. He doesn't mean it. God said, that's no help to you. And in fact, that's bringing you the judgment, the fury of God. These people who are talking all these good stories on the TV and the radio and the internet, these people that are prophesying feel-good fleshly messages, these people who are exercising their ego in order to boastfully, pridefully talk about themselves and say that God talks to them in a way he doesn't talk to you, those people are not only doing you no good, but they're bringing the fury, the judgment, the wrath of God on the people not only who are saying it, but the people who are listening and the people who are supporting it. God is not happy about it. And if God doesn't change, then everything I'm reading here is still true of God. He says, don't say you talk for me because you don't. I get frustrated when my kids talk for me. Every once in a while, I hear them do that. 
Oh, well, dad will probably, dad probably won't care. No, he'll be okay with that. And I say to them, do I not, James? I say, don't talk for me. I'll talk for me. I know what I'm going to say. I know what I'm going to do. I don't need you to talk for me. That's just me, measly little me, weaselly little, crumbly little me, sinful little wretched me. I don't like it when people presume to talk for me. Now, God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sovereign one, the righteous holy one, the completely separate and totally always constantly honest and correct one, of course, he can say to human beings, wretched, sinful people, he can say, don't talk for me. I can talk for me. We got 66 books of God talking for God. How many of the false prophets that you can find on TV, the internet, the radio, how many of them have explained the 66 books yet? Virtually none of them. Virtually none of them have said, here's what God has really said. No, they're just saying, here's what I say God says, send me more money. It's arrogant, it's boastful, it's egocentric, and God hates it. And that should be enough to make anybody stop it. But it's not. Why? Because it works. As long as the money keeps flowing, they're going to keep doing it. Verse 34. Then as for the prophet or the priest or the people who say the oracle or the burden of the Lord, I shall bring punishment upon that man and his household. Not just the man, but everybody related to the man. God's going to punish. I don't think I read verse 33. <laughs> verse 33 says... Now, when this people or the prophet or a priest asks you saying, what is the oracle or the burden of the Lord? Then you shall say to them, what oracle? The Lord declares, I shall abandon you. So he's telling the false prophets at Jerusalem, when somebody comes to you and says, what's the word of the Lord? You're not supposed to say it's peace and safety. It's all good. Because that's what they were all universally saying. No, it's okay. We're behind the wall. We're safe. God's not mad at us. He's probably mad with the high and the mighty and the people he took to Babylon. He's probably punishing them, but we're fine. Which is why last week we saw God tell Ezekiel to knock a hole in the wall and put on a backpack and act like somebody who was going to be deported because... Everybody in Jerusalem and the king were going to be deported. The king was going to be blinded. He was going to die in Babylon, though he was never going to see it. That's the oracle of the Lord. So he's being very clear here and saying, if somebody says to you, what's the oracle? You say, what oracle? God says, I'm going to abandon you. That's the oracle. <laughs> then as for the prophet or the priest or the people who say, the oracle of the Lord I shall bring punishment upon that man and his household. Thus shall each of you say to his neighbor and to his brother, what has the Lord answered? Or what has the Lord spoken? For you will no longer remember the oracle of the Lord because every man's own word will become the oracle. And you have perverted the words of the living God the Lord of hosts, our God. Notice all the ways that God describes himself. 
He wants you to see him as the righteous, high and holy judge, the maker of everything, the living God, the Lord of all the hosts, our God, the God of Israel. You have perverted the words of that God. By the way, you've said, oh, I've got my own word. Verse 37, thus you shall say to that prophet, what has the Lord answered you? And what has the Lord spoken? For if you say the oracle of the Lord, surely thus says the Lord, because you said this word, the oracle of the Lord, I have also sent to you saying, you shall not say the oracle of the Lord. Therefore, behold, I shall surely forget you and cast you away from my presence along with the city which I gave to you and your fathers. And I will put an everlasting reproach on you and an everlasting humiliation which will not be forgotten. Wow. Sound like God's pretty mad about it? <laughs> yeah, okay. That was all introduction. Go to Ezekiel 13 now. That kind of gives you the overall sense of what's going on in Jerusalem. The false prophets who are saying peace and safety. Jeremiah has already said to them, don't do that. And now Ezekiel is going to join him in saying that God is against the false prophets. At the end of chapter 12, we saw, starting at verse 26, Furthermore, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, behold, the house of Israel is saying, The vision that he sees is for many years from now, and he prophesies of times far off. Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord God, None of my words will be delayed any longer. Whatever word I speak will be performed, declares the Lord God. So God is defending his own right and his own ability to declare his own word. He doesn't need the help of the false prophets, and he is going to bring his word to pass, which will prove that everything they've been prophesying about peace and safety is wrong. Chapter 13, starting at verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who prophesy and say to them who prophesy from their own inspiration, listen to the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, woe to the foolish prophets who are following their own spirit and have seen Nothing. Oh, Israel, your prophets have been like foxes among the ruins. That's an old Hebraism that just means some of your translations instead of foxes there will say jackals. What it means is if there's a ruined city, if there's a city that's nothing but rubble and there's wild animals there, the wild animals have nothing to eat. They become more and more vicious. They're more and more willing to destroy in order to get food for themselves. So God has just likened the false prophets who haven't seen or heard anything from God, but who are willing to go out and say, oh, I prophesy from my own inspiration. He said, they're like wild, ravenous animals. They will chew you up for their own gain. They're like foxes among the ruins. You have not gone up into the breaches nor did you build the wall around the house of Israel to stand in the battle on the day of the Lord. They see falsehood and lying divinations who are saying, the Lord declares when the Lord has not sent them. 
yet they hope for some fulfillment of their word. Isn't that true? Everybody on YouTube speculating about, oh, I had a dream, oh, I had a vision, and there's thousands of them. All these people, oh, I have a vision, oh, I'm a prophet, oh, I know more. I'm more spiritual than you. God has shown me. God has told me. They're all just hoping and praying that something they said comes true. I just hope something comes true. He said that's the way it is there. They're in Jerusalem. They're prophesying peace and safety, and they hope it comes true, and then they'll look good. They'll look like prophets. See, I told you. I knew it. But he's saying they're declaring falsehoods to you and lying divinations. When they say the Lord declares, when the Lord has not sent them, yet they hope for the fulfillment of their word. Did you not see a false vision and speak a lying divination when you said the Lord declares, but it is not I who have spoken? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have spoken falsehood and seen a lie, Therefore, behold, I am against you, declares the Lord God. You don't ever want to hear that. You don't ever want to hear that God, the maker of heaven and earth, the judge of all eternity. You do not want to hear him say, I'm against you. I'm opposed to you. I'm opposed to what you're saying. I'm opposed to what you're doing. You're prophesying falsely, saying that there's going to be peace and safety for my people, when in fact, they're under judgment. They're under my judgment because of the way they have chased their foreign gods, because of the ways that they have let these surrounding nations and the Baals enter into the worship until they have forgotten me and given themselves wholly to these false gods. I am against you for telling those people that they're all right with me. The man-pleasing message. And the man-pleasing message runs rampant in the church right now. The man-pleasing prophecy the false divinations of, oh, you're fine. Sure, you're giving way to every kind of abomination. We talked about it last night at men's meeting, didn't we? At length, out of Romans 1. All the various ways that people are just accepting all of these things that God has said are abominable to him. But they think, well, there's power in numbers, and it's okay, and now you've got the church accepting all these things that once were considered abominable, once considered not part of the church, once considered to be part of the world, now the church is inculcating those things into the church and then telling people in the pews, it's okay. God doesn't care. You can still be Christian and still be like that. God says, I'm against you when you talk like that. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have spoken falsehood and seen a lie, therefore, behold, I am against you, declares the Lord God. So my hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and utter lying divinations. They will have no place in the council of my people, nor will they be written down in the register of the house of Israel, nor will they enter the land of Israel that you may know that I am the Lord. Here is God sifting the house of Israel and saying that there are some people, specifically in this case, false prophets, 
who are not going to sit in the council, which means they're not going to be among the leaders, they're not going to have any say, not going to have any influence in Israel, but not only are they not going to sit in the council of the people, but they're not going to be written down in the register of the house of Israel. Remember that all the way through the Old Testament, we see genealogy, 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 because people have to be able to keep track of their own record. Who was your mother? Who was your father? Who were your grandparents? Where did you come from? How do you prove that you're actually a descendant of Abraham? How do you prove that you came from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, how do you prove that you're part of the house of Israel? Well, you have to be in the register. They're not going to be written down in the register, and they're not going to enter Israel because God's intention is eventually to bring those who are in the Babylonian captivity back to Jerusalem and ultimately to collect all 12 tribes and bring them back to the land that he promised them. When that regathering happens, they're not going to be part of it. So let me ask you a couple of questions, because I told you I was going to give you a little theological aside here. So are those people that God is sifting out, that God is not going to include in the council, in the register, not going to bring back to Israel, are those people actually descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Are they blood descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Yeah, sure they are. Yeah, of course they are. Yeah. Okay. But... Once they are sifted out, even though they've been descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, are they then a part of Israel? No. God just said they're not going to be part of Israel anymore. That, I believe, is why Paul says in Romans 9, they are not all Israel who are of Israel. A line that has been bandied about, misused, and abused Over and over again, you can see it abused constantly in reform circles among people who want to say that the church is now Israel. Paul does not say, not all Israel is of Israel. Now God has expanded the concept of Israel so that Israel includes Gentiles. That's not what Paul said. In fact, let's go look at it. Look at Romans 9 for a minute because what Paul does say is that not everybody who comes from the progenitor, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob has his name changed to Israel, and not everybody who comes from Israel is actually going to be counted as part of Israel, which is why in Romans 10 he goes on talking about the remnant, that there's going to be a remnant that God is going to restore who are actually Israel. So Romans 9, 6. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. What word of God is he talking about? The Old Testament. Remember that Ezekiel has a very big voice in Israel, demonstrated by how often he's quoted in the New Testament, how often he's quoted, especially in the book of Revelation. The New Testament writers are very aware of Ezekiel's prophecies. This is a turning point for Israel, being driven into Babylon, being taken out of Jerusalem, the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple. This is key stuff in the history of Israel. So, of course, Israel would know it. And so Paul argues, but it's not as if the word of God has failed, for they are not all national Israel who are descended from Jacob, Israel. 
that's what Paul's getting at, made even more obvious by the fact that in verse 7 he says, neither, which means the sentence is continuing, he's going to draw a parallel, neither are they all children, or neither are they all the seed, neither are they all counted as descendants, because they are Abraham's descendants. But through Isaac, your descendants will be named. So Paul's really, really clear about what he's getting at there. Abraham had two children, Ishmael and Isaac. Through Isaac, your seed's going to be called. But the children of Ishmael, they're still descendants of Abraham, but they're not counted as the seed. So we just saw a demonstration of people who are descendants of Jacob, who are descendants of Israel. They are of Israel, but they're not counted in Israel. Why? Because God's not going to count them because God's going to take them out of Israel. They are the perfect demonstration of not all Israel is of Israel. You get it? I only bring that up because at some point in the future, I'm going to have to sit down, have to, like I have to. I'm going to sit down in front of a camera again and start making YouTube videos answering all these verses that the church Israel people use so flippantly and just say, they're not all Israel of Israel. There, and they think that proves that now Gentiles are somehow Israel or that somehow the church has replaced Israel. It's not at all what it means when you look at it in context and you look at it in the big picture context then you can see that God is sifting and eliminating people out of Israel. And even though they were of Israel, the progenitor, they're not counted as Israel. That's what Paul's getting at because that's what the prophets have said. That's what the scripture he's working from has said. And that's why Paul is continuing to say it. But to invent something like, oh, that means the concept of Israel is expanded and now Gentiles are Israel, not only does no New Testament author say that, but it runs completely contrary to everything we do see demonstrated in the Old Testament. So I'd rather go with the big context. I'd rather go with the big picture and say, this is what God has said and done, and it certainly fits exactly with what Paul has said, because the Bible makes sense with itself. Yes, Alex? Um, are you saying that primarily it's talking about Ishmael's kids here, or that's included in what he's saying here? I would say in this case, he's primarily talking about Ishmael okay. because he takes the time to say, in Isaac, thy seed shall be called. Well, when you did your little quiz a minute ago, you were referring to wayward Israelites, right? Like, yes. Okay. In this particular case, false prophets, who God has just said aren't going to be any more a part of Israel. Right. Let's go back to Ezekiel 13. You'll see it. Go back to Ezekiel 13. We left off at, oh, we'll pick up at verse 8. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have spoken falsehood and seen a lie, therefore, behold, I am against you. So my hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and utter lying divinations. They will have no place in the council of my people, nor will they be written down in the register of the house of Israel nor will they enter the land of Israel that you may know that I am the Lord God. So in other words, there are people of Israel who are descendants of Jacob who are not going to be counted as Israel. Not all Israel becomes Israel. It is pretty clear, isn't it? Oh, and once again, the Bible makes sense with itself. It is definitely, verse 10, it is definitely because they have misled my people. 
by saying peace when there is no peace and when anyone builds a wall behold they plaster over it with whitewash in other words they don't reinforce it they don't build up the breaches they don't take care of the wall they just put some paint on it and say there I fixed it so tell those who plaster it over with whitewash that it will fall a flooding rain will come and you O hailstones will fall and a violent wind will break out behold when the wall has fallen will you not be asked where is the plaster with which you plastered it you get the example God's saying when it all comes tumbling down the people who trusted you are going to come to you and go hey I thought you said it's all good I thought you said it was peace. I thought you were building up this wall of protection. Now that the wall is down, what have you actually done for us? Because remember what God had said. They don't do anything for my people. They don't help my people. They're harming the people. Verse 13. They look like they're doing something. They look like they're doing something. Man, I'm painting. I'm painting the wall. But paint can't stand up against enemy armies. Therefore, thus says the Lord God. I will make a violent wind break out in my wrath. There will also be in my anger a flooding rain and hailstones to consume it in my wrath. So I shall tear down the wall which you plastered over with whitewash and bring it down to the ground so that its foundation is laid bare. And when it falls, you will be consumed in its midst and you will know that I am the Lord. Thus I shall spend my wrath on the wall and on those who have plastered it over with whitewash. And I shall say to you, the wall is gone and its plasterers are gone, along with the prophets of Israel who prophesy to Jerusalem and who see visions of peace for her when there is no peace, declares the Lord. Now you, son of man, set your face against the daughters of your people who were prophesying from their own inspiration, prophesy against them and say, thus says the Lord God. Now I will admit that the next bit is a little cryptic only because he's speaking to a specific tradition that the women prophets had in that time and in that place. So it's going to sound a little foreign to us. I'm in chapter 13, starting at verse 18. Prophesy against the daughters of your people who are prophesying from their own inspiration and say to them, thus says the Lord God, woe to the women who sow. Now the NASB adds the word magic, but woe to the women who sew bands on all their wrists and make veils for the heads of persons of every stature to hunt down lives. Will you hunt down the lives of my people? but preserve the lives of others for yourself and for handfuls of barley and fragments of bread you have profaned me to my people to put to death some who should not die and to keep others alive who should not live by your lying to my people who listen to your lies I'm just going to read this for you straight out of the uh, Bible knowledge dictionary these prophetesses sewed magic charms on their wrists and made veils of various lengths for their heads. 
The Hebrew word for magic charms occurs in the Old Testament only in this passage, in Ezekiel 13, 18. This practice probably came from Babylonian magic rituals in which magical knots and bands were bound to various parts of the body to ward off evil spirits or to heal diseases. These, quote, good luck charms supposedly had magic powers, and the veils were long drapes that they placed over their heads and that would cover the prophetess's body, possibly to convey the impression of mystery. The purpose for the magic charms and the mysterious veils was to ensnare people, especially in times of uncertainty and turmoil. Frauds and charlatans seemed to prey on the fears of the gullible. These sorceresses would, quote, tell the future or provide a good luck spell for a few handfuls of barley or a few scraps of bread, either as a payment for their divination or as a means employed for the divination. In some cultures, barley was used in occult practices either as an offering to the spirits or as a means of trying to determine the future. Whatever the case, these prophetesses were employing fraudulent practices as a hoax and were making their living off the fears of others. God said they were really, quote, lying to my people. The results of the prophetess's work ran counter to Israel's best interest. You have killed those who should not have died. You have spared those who should not live. So the prophetess should have exposed and denounced the evil practices in Jerusalem if she was actually hearing from God, but instead they let the wicked, those who should not live, go free. That says it better than I could. So. For handfuls of barley and fragments of bread, you have profaned me to my people to put to death some who should not die and yet keep others alive who should not live by your lying to my people who listen to your lies. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against your magic bands by which you hunt lives there as birds. And I will tear them off your arms and I will let them go, even those lives whom you hunt as birds." How do you hunt birds? You catch them in a net. You catch them in a snare. So God is specific in talking about catching them as birds by saying you're snaring them. You're catching them with your magic spells and your divinations, which are all evil, and yet you're bringing people to yourself and catching them in this sense of mystery you're putting on. And instead of them listening to me, rather than listening to my prophets, rather than understanding that I'm doing this to Jerusalem on purpose so that they will know that I'm God, instead these prophetesses are, are prophesying, no, God's for you, it's all good. Or they're saying, chase the other gods, go after the Baals, they'll protect you from the evil and the wicked God who's out to get you. He's saying they're snaring you, they're catching you, they're binding you in their net. I will also tear off your veils and deliver my people from your hands and they will no longer be in your hands to be hunted and you will know that I am the Lord. Because you disheartened the righteous with falsehood when I did not cause him grief but have encouraged the wicked not to turn from his wicked way and preserve his life, therefore, 
you women will no longer see false visions or practice divination, and I will deliver my people out of your hand, and thus you will know that I am the Lord. So God in his faithfulness, in the continuation of his promises to Israel, is going to cleanse Israel. I said earlier, he's going to sift Israel. He's going to take the false prophets and the false prophetesses out of Israel. He's not going to allow them to even be counted on the rolls anymore as if they are part of Israel. And then he's going to bring Israel back to Jerusalem to start yet again. And that's going to take us into the times of Nehemiah and Ezra and the rebuilding of the temple. And then that's going to take us into the times of Alexander the Great and into the times of the Maccabean Rebellion and then it's all going to happen again. Israel's going to be like this again. And so finally God is going to send his son. He's finally going to send Jesus to Jerusalem to his people yet again to say, look, I'm talking for God. I'm the only one who talks for God. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. That's why he has to declare these things because there are so many people saying so many things and claiming that they talk for God. That's one of the reasons that for all these years that I've been doing this, I try to just go back to what does the Bible say? What does the word say? You don't need to know what Jim thinks. Most of what Jim thinks is silly anyway. You don't need to know my opinion on that. You need to know what God says. And what God says is far more terrifying than anything I could conjure up. And what God says is far more reassuring and full of peace and grace than anything I could say. You need to hear from the God of ages. You don't need to hear from false prophets and people who make things up. And yet people are doing it and getting rich and drawing people to themselves, snaring them like catching birds. And they're doing it to this very day. And God is angry about it. So God says, don't talk for me. That's the whole lesson. Yes, sir. It's kind of sickening listening to this because you just turn on the TV and you see them selling magic trinkets, uh, holy water. Or a, a I'll send you a handkerchief. Cloth. Yeah, a prayer cloth that I've prayed over. Or if you send me the first two weeks your earnings this year. God will bless your finances. There was a, a fellow on TV last year who said that it was his 50th birthday. And so he declared a year of jubilee because in the Bible, 50 is the number of jubilee. And he said, if you send me a, a birthday gift of $500 or more, that God is going to do all these things, the abundant harvest, your baskets are going to be overflowing if you send money to me because I turned 50, so I declare a year of Jubilee. But they're out there. They're doing it. Hmm? Who knows? Who knows? God says, I'm going to give you bags with holes, and what little you have, I'm going to blow on it. I'm going to blow away even what little you hold on to. When God's against you, it's going downhill fast. You know, it's a cautionary tale for everybody. If you go read Job's friends, it doesn't all sound that terrible, things they're saying. Better than most sermons I see on TV. And boy, God's not impressed. God ends up saying, Job, you got to pray and sacrifice for them because my anger is kindled against them because they have not said what is right about me. It's important that you say what's right about God. It's important. And I don't think enough people... Take that seriously because I am on YouTube. And so 
Anytime anybody says anything on any kind of topic where I also have a YouTube video that's similar to it, my name ends up or my video ends up in the side channel. And so when I look at any of my videos, check my channel, all this stuff comes up on the side channel of semi-related stuff. And I go listen to it. I go see what other people are saying because I think, well, if somebody's listening to my video, what else are they being offered by YouTube? And it's crazy stuff. And they're not talking for God. And there's so many of them. And they just make stuff up. They are the very living definition of what we're reading here. At least in Jerusalem, false prophets had to talk one-on-one to people. Now they just get on YouTube and suddenly they're talking to anybody who'll dial it up. And it's, it's crazy. So in other words, I bring that up to say, it hasn't gotten better. No, it's as bad today as it's ever been. And God, who doesn't change, says, I'm angry about it. And most of Christianity denies God's relationship with Israel. Oh, yeah. His promises to them. Yeah. And so they're saying something he didn't say. Right. Like the church is Israel. He didn't say that. Yeah. It's as bad as it's ever been, and it's going to keep going, because that's what Jesus said in Matthew 24. Many will cover my name. Many false prophets will arise. So this is going to be a continuous thing all the way till. Till the Instagram. false prophet yeah. shows up. Yeah. Right. yeah. Technology makes it worse. Technology makes it worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the more that we do this, when the false prophet shows up, it really won't sound false at all because that's all they ever hear. That's all you ever hear. Yeah. <laughs> right. take you out before then. And us. I hope so. They better. Come with me. We're going. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's get out of here. And actually, let's get out of here. Okay, I think we're done here tonight. So, <laughs> Any more questions? Any more comments? Good feedback. Say goodbye to the Internet folks. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's Salvation by Grace message. We welcome your feedback and encourage you to visit our website at salvationbygrace.org. And we invite you to join us next time when we gather around the Word and study the sovereign grace of God.